Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! <laughs> I just want to take a second to acknowledge our fancy lead-in that uh, that Troy procured for us a couple weeks ago. We just started the show without acknowledging the fact that we have an official intro. So, Troy, congratulations on uh, securing something so professional. I feel so legit. Right, right. Yeah, no, I wanted something that was professional-sounding to you know, lead in the podcast because the rest of it might not be so professional. No, I'm just kidding. But no, it's, it's great. It's a great intro. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, for enhancing the experience for everybody. Yeah. Now people are going to think they're coming into a real podcast and then they get us, but you know what? We're charming. We win them over. Right guys. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so today let's just get right to work because I, um, I've been so excited about discussing this film with you. This is my first official pick for a review. So I, um, I'm really pumped. I mean, this is honestly a film that I have revisited so many times, probably like 40 times over the last few years. I just, I can't really stop watching it because every time I find something new to take away from it. Uh, the name of the film is The Invitation and its director uh, is Karen Kusama. I hope I'm saying that right. Do you know if that's correct, Troy? I believe it is, yes. Yeah, yeah. So Karen Kasama, and uh, it is a slow burn suspense thriller that really just takes its time, and I just think it's spectacular. And just to give you guys a quick lead-in of the, um, the storyline, it focuses around this character, Will. His name is Log- uh, He's played by Logan Marshall Green. And he's uh, recently gotten into a relationship with this uh, this woman, Kira, who is uh, really trying to support him through this really uh, tragic incident that he experienced within the last few years uh, involving basically the downfall of his marriage. And uh, out of the blue, he is contacted by his ex-wife, who is Eden, and she is played by Tammy Blanchard. And uh, in a stellar performance, and we'll get into that, but uh, when they uh, they get invited to this dinner party that they find is uh, consists of a bunch of people from Will's past, his old social circle, and uh, he's not really sure why they're there. Nobody really is, and at first they're pretty supportive, but they start to find that things are a little bit off. And I don't want to go too much further quite yet because that's the whole film, is finding out what's off, what's wrong. There's something amiss. And so today, in today's episode, Troy and I are going to discuss exactly what is going on in the invitation. And Troy, uh, I know we've talked a little bit about this title before, but um, I'm really just jazzed to get into the meat and bones of this movie with you. Uh, me too. Me too. I'm, I'm so glad that you actually chose this film because it had been a while since I saw this. I watched it the first time when it, when it came out, you know, I, I think it came out in 2014. I watched it then and was just like blown away. 
I watched it again within that same week. And you catch so many things, but I haven't seen it since. So since you picked this film, I watched it literally like three times in a span of a weekend. And still don't feel like I have a full grasp on the full meaning of the film. I feel like there's so much going on. There's so much subtlety in this film. One of the things that this film does brilliantly is this film plays with the audience's mind because there you do not know. We're just going right into this. You don't know because of what happened with Will and um, Eden with their child. And you know that he is distraught, that he's dealing with that grief. So you don't know a lot of these little things if it's in his mind or if these are things are really happening. And I think that's what makes this film so brilliant is that it plays with the audience's mind more effectively than probably any film that I've ever seen. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, let's be real from the very start. This film is expertly directed. It is expertly executed. You can tell they know exactly what they wanted to do. And you can tell that they didn't want to just hand everything over to the audience right away. I, the, the, I watched it again recently as well. I watched it with um, with a close friend who had not seen the film yet, but happens to like suspense. And at first, my friend was asking me like, "Oh wait, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know exactly these relationships or um, what exactly is going on." I was like, "No, no, no. You don't. You're not supposed to know. The way this film unfolds, you go in pretty blind." to the situation, to the relationships, and you're spoon-fed over the course of this film little tidbits of information here and there. But because of the way that the story unfolds, there are times that you question the mental state of the male lead. Mm -hmm. There are times you question the sincerity and the intentions of other characters, whether or not characters are good, whether or not characters are bad, whether or not there are ulterior motives. And it's just done such subtle ways, in such human ways, the dialogue, the interactions. It's, it's, it's just, I think it's a phenomenal, I think it's a masterpiece. I really do. It's one of my favorite films of the last 10 years. And, and there's just so many ways that we're going to be able to break this down. I'm happy you just dove right in because let's be real. I think this is going to be a spoiler heavy review. Let's just get that out there. How can it not be? Because honestly, this whole thing builds up to a climax that just blows my mind. And if you think it's slow, if you're not a fan of slow films, bite the bullet, get through that first hour because the ending is a payoff. God, does it pay off? So it gives you a little bit of everything. It gives you slow burn suspense. It gives you drama. It gives you phenomenal acting. And it blows up into this conclusion that just, I think, will give horror fans everything they wanted and more. So yeah, I'm happy that you brought up the whole thing about the child. Let's kind of just go in deep with, I think, um, like the character relationships, maybe, at least the focal characters, and why they're operating the way they are. Will, that character is a layered character and he is played fantastically by logan marshall green oh absolutely the the performance is uh, like i said it's a balancing act of portraying a character that is grief-stricken and it's kind of thrust into this very uncomfortable situation Mm -hmm. it's established that him and his ex-wife eden have not seen each other for a long time and she just randomly out of the blue invites him to this dinner party. And he has a new girlfriend, Kira, 
who, you know, that's another kind of mysterious character, I think. I don't think that her character is as flushed out throughout the film as it she could have been, but I think that's kind of purposeful. Um, intentionally so. Yeah. yeah, I think it's intentional up till the end because she's the one that gets the least focus up yeah. until as you close in the finale. But yeah, backtrack because if, yeah, if you have not seen this movie, probably stop the podcast because you this movie is best going into completely blind and we're, yes. we're, we're here to spoil every juicy tidbit of this film for you. So if you haven't seen it, stop, come back, listen to the episode after you've watched it, it's on Netflix. Okay, so the opening scene, again, brilliantly directed. You have the whole scenario where he hits that uh, the wolf and he has to go, and unfortunately, the wolf's not dead, so you get a glimpse into kind of his reservations there when he decides he's going to have to kill this this wolf, which thematically somehow connects to the film. You know, that's, that's kind of a, a really cool little opening scene, I think, to kind of set things into motion, because then you get the relationship between Will and, and, and Kira and kind of his whole grief stick grief stricken demeanor um is kind of played out in that opening scene so you know right away that there's something kind of underneath the surface of his character yeah i love that opening you get and you get a lot of things in that opening sequence you get an understanding of the relationship between kira and will that it's strained that there's layers of uh discomfort between the two of them, that there's a lack of communication and understanding to a certain level. I don't think he's completely open to her and you get that right away. And when that whole sequence happens with the coyote, the way it's shot pretty much clues you in right away that this is going to be a very elegant, artistic, um, interpretive film. That whole sequence with the coyote, you don't see a lot of violence, but you do see some of the the after effects of what happens. You know, these really close shots in the coyote's jaw and the eye, the, the pupil kind of like dilating and there's blood, but like it's not over the top, but it affects you just because the, the way it's filmed, the audio and everything combined, it's just still very in the moment, very raw. And um, you see a lot of the aftermath. You see Kira in the car look away as he's going in to beat this wolf with a crowbar. Um, and the response to the violence is very much how I would anticipate a real human would, would react, you know? And you get that all through the movie. It is a collection of very human moments that are very genuine and true to life from beginning to end. And I think that's one of the reasons this movie works so well is the way these characters are written and the way that they are interpreted to screen, the acting, the performances are some of the best in an independent film I've seen. Well, one thing that I want to mention um, that I think is very interesting is the diversity of this film. Right away, you have an interracial couple, um, Will and Kira, and it's kind of not your, you don't see that a lot, especially in horror. And then it's the, it's not your typical interracial relationship that's usually portrayed because a lot of times it's you have an African-American male with a white female this is the this is the roles are reversed a little bit here and you yeah you definitely tell that there's some underlying issues she's trying to be super supportive of him but it's difficult because he seems so closed uh closed off i love when they get to the when they get to the house 
and you're introduced to just this whole hodgepodge of characters. And again, it's a very diverse group. You get a gay couple, Miguel and um, what's his name? Uh, Is it Tommy? Oh yeah, I think so. The blonde. I'm trying to remember. Tommy and Miguel. Yeah. Tommy. Tommy and Miguel. Yeah, I'm you pretty get, sure. Yeah. Yeah, you get the gay couple. You get. I mean, it's it's a very diverse cast. But they're what just a great gay couple. Yeah. Thank no, you. it's very portrayed very well. Very well. Very well. Um, Real humans. Yes. Which everyone in this film is, you know, for the most part, yeah, they have their little quirks because that that's part of the film. Like you're you're trying to figure out, like you mentioned, right away when Will arrives at this party there's a tension in the tension that you can feel like tangible tension because it's revealed that uh eden who her entrance on screen is so ethereal she's in this beautiful flowing white gown and you know it's she's very elegant tammy blanchard nails this performance nails this character and it's interesting you know think of her name eden kind of harking to the bible which there's a lot of little biblical references in this film, but she is actually married now to a, a new person named David. And so you have this sort of tension right there. You have Will with his new girlfriend and Eden with her new husband surrounded by all these friends that they really haven't hung around since before Will and Eden were together. They used to, this group used to hang out all, all the time together, right? But since the tragedy that happened with Eden and uh, Will's child, let's just put it out there, the child was killed in an accident, uh, which caused them to separate. This group has not been together since this whole dinner party. So right away, there's just awkward tension in the air that you, as the viewer, are very tuned into. And you get a, a very just eclectic group of, of characters. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to, I've got to backtrack a few steps uh, just because it's one of my main notes here that I really want to put some focus on, but that I think the standout performance of the film is Tammy Blanchard. The, 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 just every line out of her mouth, every facial expression. uh, She is a great actress for my gays listening, um, if you've ever seen me in my shadows, the made-for-TV biopic uh, about the life of Judy Garland, she played young Judy in that phenomenal uh, big Broadway actress. She was in the recent Mister Rogers film um, with uh, Tom Hanks. She was the sis- uh, the sister to the the lead, the the gentleman, the journalist. She's just got a really great uh, filmography, great career, but always kind of an under. Um, I was an overlooked actress. She's just always been in a lot of smaller projects, but my God, what a talented woman and what an all-star performance in this film. One of my favorites. And every time you see her on camera, she just steals the show. I'm not saying the other characters don't have their amazing moments as well. Everyone in this is phenomenal, but she's just so, like you said, ethereal. Um, there is a layer of, I mean, obvious mental illness that you see pop through the whole scene in the kitchen where she reaches for the glass and that, that when he's drinking the water and you're starting to get flashbacks of, um, of what happened, you see like the sequence of her at the sink and there's blood, but the way it's filmed is so like distorted that you're getting an idea that something happened, but you're still not sure what. And then she just all of a sudden hear her like lean in and go, well, and you see her mouth up by his ear and he drops the glass, the sound effects, 
everything in that moment uh, is startling and it just grips you. And she is just a force of nature in this film. For her performance alone, this film is worth watching. Uh, but there are so many other reasons and there's so many tangents I want to go off on, but I just have to acknowledge that she, in my opinion, is the standout in this movie. I, I agree. I, I totally agree with you. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a great performance. Uh, yeah. Not that, like I said, not like you said, the, the, the whole cast is great, but I, I feel like her character and the Will character definitely needed actors with the chops to pull the performances off correct you know the, the yeah. effectively and they did it you're at this awkward dinner party and just it just as things go on it just kind of gets more and more awkward and i guess the whole let's just dive right into the whole sort of premise of the film that is kind of making making the character of will uneasy is the fact that uh eden and her new husband david which you know I'm wondering if that's an allusion to David Koresh. You know, there's all these little things that I that I fe- feel like are su- certainly intentional. They belong to this. They don't want to call it a cult, but they they belong to this group called the Invitation. Yeah, and it's very much when you start to see what it is. The first thought in your mind is this is a fucking cult, <laughs> yeah. but they're like, no, it's not. It's 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 not a cult. It's it's just a new lifestyle. Um, so that's sort of the the premise of the film is okay. Is this are these people really in a cult? Or what's what's the purpose of all of this? Bringing all these past people together into this d- dinner party. Um, what is the purpose? So yeah, so that's kind of what what the Say that the whole thing is, is, is this, yeah, is this really a cult or what's going on? Yeah, they do a really great job of um, challenging the viewer, uh, you know, whether or not the actual issue is the individuals partaking in the invitation or the paranoia created by Will and his state of mind and where he is with his depression, because it comes out pretty quick that he struggles with this. Uh, he talks about it openly with his friends. Um, and, and through a series of really well-executed dialogues um, between some of the more supporting characters, even though some of these characters don't have as much focal screen time, they do a really fantastic job of giving everyone a very fleshed-out development uh over the course of the film uh like uh, for example example gina the the one more of the party character you know she's the um the one that does the coke at one point and everything she's you can tell she's supposed to be like the life of the party but she's played so well and she has like one dialogue sequence just with will and it's not very long but god you learn so much about their relationship and you learn about how all these characters have in their own way tried to reach out to him and he has been resistant and it gives you so much insight into who he is and why he's so paranoid and why he has this anxiety and how much he's changed. But you can also tell that these characters all still love him so much. And it's just so tragic, honestly. Once you find out what happened with the son mm-hmm. and you find out how either individual processed it, and neither of them processed it well, as nobody would, no. you know? But you see this journey of grief, and it is so expertly uh, handled and, and genuine and human. And uh, these little dialogue moments, another dialogue moment that's held 
and this is, is something for me as a horror fan, is one of the actors that appears in this, uh, actresses, was Rhonda in Jeepers Creepers 2. Did mm. you notice that? Do you mm. remember that? She was in Jeepers Creepers 2. She's the, um, I'm blanking on the character's name, but she's the one that she's like talking about how she, um, she's like, come sit with me. And she has a dialogue where she's talking about like all of these things she's achieved and how he missed all of them because he's not been available. And he apologizes and she's like, well, you're here now. She, that, leaves, she ends up being the one that leaves early. It's Claire, Claire. Claire, yeah, Claire. That was Rhonda in Jeepers Creepers 2, which as a teen was a favorite film of mine. Obviously, the whole Victor Salva thing kind of tainted that for me, but you know, it still is a nostalgia factor. I haven't seen her since that film. Yeah. She was in her 20s, I'm assuming. And now she's a grown woman and she's still acting and she has a great role in this film, though it's not huge. Uh, and for me, I was like, wow, that's really cool to see her on the screen again. Um, but again, just great cast, great little moments, little vignette moments, personal moments that really develop these focal characters and give you a, just a solid grasp of where they are in life and why they think and operate the way they do. Just such a well-written script. And it progresses you through these, mo these moments in the film that you just see Will through the exposure of this evening and what's going on and who he's seeing and what's happening, you kind of start to see his mental state triggered. And he kind of lapses into a series of like panic attacks. And his response is not always lucid or uh, controlled. And that makes me as the viewer start to suspect, oh, this guy could very well be I don't want to say the antagonist of the film, but a lot of a lot of what we're seeing in the sense of this tension and this discomfort, it might be solely coming from him. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't know till the end of the movie exactly if it's him and his paranoia or if there really is something going on. And if it wasn't for the direction, if it wasn't for the script, if it wasn't for the team behind this, I don't think they could have achieved that to the caliber that they pull it off. No, not at all. You know, and, and that's the one thing. One of the main conflicts in the film is the fact that Will is, does not feel as though Eden is grieving properly. He feels like she's moved on too, too fast. And the issue is he sees her now involved in this new lifestyle, this, the invitation. And it's just, it's just bothering him even more. The fact that, okay, she's not only did she kind of forget about our son, but now she's moving on to, to something else, this whole new you know, lifestyle where she seems carefree and just not, not even no care in the world as, as, as far as their son's death. And yeah, so it's, it's an interesting dynamic, but as you, you know, as, as kind of the night goes on, there is a, uh, a character that shows up to the house, Pruitt played by um, John Carroll Lynch from American Horror Story, who was mm -hmm. um, Twisty the Clown and, and whatnot in American Horror Story. He shows up. And that just, there you go. That just adds a whole new level of just d discomfort to the film. Because he's very, uh, he's very odd from the start. Yep. And as well as another character named Sadie as well. That's oh, another yeah. character that oh, introduced. Yeah, I love, I love the fact that when you first see her, she's like standing naked in the doorway. <laughs> And one thing I really appreciate with with both of these characters um, is that you're uh, you're dealing with a film that has uh, its roots in like a cult mentality, and you see 
And with Sadie, you get a, a really distinct Manson vibe. Yes. You've got the usage of drugs, that whole sequence where she's looking in the mirror with her tongue out. And you can you know she's on something. Um, she's very off. And, and Pruitt, who, what a phenomenal performance as well um, from John Carroll Lynch. Uh, he has that monologue that is on it. It's really clear that this guy has the, he is a serial, or at least he's a, uh, in my mind, he's the mind of a serial killer. And the invitation has only just given him an excuse to not have guilt. I mean, let's talk about what the invitation is really quick for people who don't really exactly understand. The invitation, this cult, basically what it does is it gives people a form of reasoning to overlook any kind of trauma or guilt or uh, any feelings that they have that may stem from some major event. It, it basically tells them, don't cling to that. Forgive yourself. Let that go. Mm-hmm. You're going to see these people in heaven, these people you've lost, you know, you're, if you, the person you've murdered, what have you. Um, there's no reason to grieve and there's no reason to feel anger and there's no reason to mourn because you're going to see them in heaven. So live in the moment and live for yourself and be happy. And that's all you need. And that is such a dangerous, dangerous mentality. And they do such a good job of, of again, spoon feeding information about this blatant cult to the audience, as well as to those at, attending the party. Um, because it is, it's terrifying. When you really think about what this is, it's, it's terrifying. It gives people a reason to not have any form of of self-guilt whatsoever and and that unleashes a whole new can of worms but yeah no to go back to what you're saying uh pruitt is is a great character and really kind of just sets the ball rolling for the second half of the film yes it's it's the point when he shows up is the point where the film really starts to kind of take the sinister turn where you're well, or or is it taking a sinister turn is it all in will's mind because kind of the first real Thing that uh, that that Will notices that kind of makes him uneasy is right after Pruitt comes into the house. Um, Dave locks the door and pulls the key out. Mm-hmm. Small little thing. I mean, man, eh. Will notices it and he questions it. Why did why did you why did you take the key out? And oh, I can't remember the reason he gives. But Will's like, oh well, what if there's a fire? So you, as the audience member, are thinking, yeah, that's kind of weird. Why would you lock the door and take the key out? But then what does, right when you are thinking, hey, this is really weird, what happens? Is he's like, oh, well, if you're that uneasy, I'll put the key right back in. And he does it. So it's kind of squashes that, well, is, is Will being paranoid? Is that something that you should be paranoid about if someone locks, you know, or is there just a little detail that is innocent? Yeah, every time something happens that causes you as the viewer to suspect one thing, there is a scenario or a solution or a response that causes you to then question what you're questioning. You know, it's, it's, it's again, expertly written, expertly directed. Um, the response that David gives in that moment with the, with the key is he says that there was a series of break-ins. Oh yeah. yeah, They're in the, they're in the California Hills. They're in the Hills, I think of Hollywood. Yes. And if there's ever a good excuse and, and he doesn't bat an eye, Will, Will says, yeah, well, I never, I had, I'd haven't heard that there was any break-ins. Um, right. Yeah. Um, and then you get the whole thing where once Pruitt shows up, it kind of does take a little, like I said, a darker 
tone because, you know, here they are at this dinner party where they're supposed to be, you know, reminiscing. They haven't seen each other for a long time. But what's what what kind of happens is, oh, well, we're going to show you a video, you know, that's from the invitation. And you're going to see how great this is. And what the hell is it? What's it a video of? It's of a woman dying yeah. from cancer and, yeah, <laughs> in front and, of a group of people. Yeah, and Dave and Dave and Eden and Sadie and Pruitt are all acting like this is just the best thing ever to watch. And it, admittedly, the others are very uncomfortable. Uh, Will even's like, "What the hell are you doing? Like, is this? Why are you showing this at a dinner party?" And they're like, "Oh, well, we just want you to see how how at peace, you know." This was, and it's not, death isn't something you should be afraid of. And you get the whole scene where what's her, or Claire gets upset and wants to leave. And this is another great scene is because Claire leaves and Pruitt follows her out. Right. And you have, you have Will kind of watching out the window to see what is happening. And it's very unclear what actually happens. You don't, I mean, you know what Will is thinking, but as the viewer, we're not shown really anything except him follow her out. You know, an interesting tidbit. Um, I did read this because I got so into the movie the first time I watched it that I did read that in an original cut of the film, there it, there was a reveal as to what the outcome was. Oh, really? And they opted to, they opted to cut that uh, just because of the whole thing, this whole movie thrives on its uh, on how vague it is at times and how little you know. And they thought it was just appropriate that you never really know what that character you can assume. You can have a gut feeling one way or the other, but they chose not to show the outcome of of Claire's evening, you know, um, which I actually love because uh, it, it, they're right. The whole movie is just a a, um, a masterclass of suspense. And a masterclass of keeping the audience hanging by a thread, you know. And and um, I like that they opted to not give you everything you'd expect to figure out. Some things you just have to kind of go with your gut on. Uh, so well done. But um, but yeah, I mean that is that really is that that confrontation. The whole Claire confrontation is is a point where things start to get really stern. Mm-hmm. between some of the characters david eventually calling will out uh saying that he's um not appreciative of his hospitality even though this is will's former home and david throwing these little stabbing jabs of like this is my house after all things like that you're really starting to see who david really is and he gives out the a uh, little bit of information about the fact that he was once a big record producer with a coke addiction mm-hmm. but the invitation saved him from that and that right there between having a woman who lost a child went through a severe trauma of uh, loss and is using this to cope and somebody who is a massive drug addict with a lot of money you put them together in a, what is clearly a very toxic relationship. As you see further into the film, you really see how manipulative this relationship is, too. Um, it's just a, a recipe for disaster. And these two think that they're doing all the right things to really help themselves. Yeah, it, it's really, like I said, it's this film is constructed so, so well. Well, and then you get the whole thing with Pruitt basically telling the story about him killing his wife. Yeah. I mean, after like, all, okay, 
after you just after you just freak out this entire dinner party by showing them a video of someone dying, your very next step is to tell the story about how you murdered your wife. I mean, it doesn't. It does. Hey, that does. That's not adding to the likability or trust scale there, Pruitt. Um, but I, but it, he thinks it does. He thinks it's helping. He thinks it does help. He yeah. thinks he's being open. Hey, look, I can talk about this now because because of the invitation, I've learned to just let that go. You know, it happened. It was you know, it was an accident. But I've learned to let it go. I'm not going to dwell on the fact that I murdered my wife. The invitation now is, you know, has given me permission to. Just yeah, not that whatever she's dead. I'm, I now I have to live for me and do what's best for me and forget about all of that negativity that that caused. I think that whole monologue is one of the standout moments of the film, which there are several. But the uh, the way that whole sequence unfolds, because they're playing this game where they're basically just kind of putting out their wildest desires and whatever they want, they can have. Because that's what the invitation is. If you want something, it should be yours. Uh, and it, it starts off innocently enough. Um, and then out of the blue, in the midst of everyone just kind of starting to enjoy themselves, Pruitt just stands up and starts talking. This very scripted monologue that you can tell he's rehearsed. It's not a genuine thing. Like, he's been waiting for this. You can tell that this is something he's been building up to. And it really is just that the whole performance that that um, John Carroll Lynch gives in that sequence is, I think, grade A. Um, it is so uncomfortable. Uh, it is so, in my mind, manipulative. Uh, it's, as I said, scripted, and there's a level of fakeness to it. Uh, but even at the end of it, you can hear him saying, you know, but um, I will not grieve because I know I'll see her again. And that's what I believe, and that's what many religions believe. It's just so manipulative. And nobody really buys into it, but he's so proud of it. And everybody else who's involved with the invitation is so supportive of it and it's just um it's one of the most unsettling sequences in the film when i watch it it makes my skin crawl and it makes all of the characters listening to the story as i said who are not involved with the invitation the ones who are being introduced to it you can see it in their faces as they're listening to this uh they do some really great close-ups on like gina who's just like listening mouth agape at how disgusting this concept is that this guy killed his wife he went to jail he served his time he says that, like he, he did what he had to do and now he can move on. And the fact that one can move on from something like that is just, um, it's, it's terrifying. It goes to show just how damaged these people are and they're looking for an excuse to move past this trauma. Um, but yeah, a, it is a, just a phenomenal performance and a, a standout scene in the movie. Um, and that really sets the precedence for what's about to happen afterward. You know, you kind of you you get the feeling as far as how sort of maybe brainwashed the you know Eden and these these other members of the invitation that are there are right away, and you don't really think anything of it. I, I, I mean, it, once you kind of know what's happening, the scene where backtracking, the scene where Eden is in the kitchen with and Ben comes in and he he insults the lifestyle. He's like, "Hey, this is what the hell is this? This just sounds like it's." You know, and she slaps him. And hard. yes, hard. And she, you know, she's like, she has this great line where it's like, she's like, that's, oh, what does she say? Like, that's why nobody takes you seriously anyway, or something like that. And then, but then later, talking about the manipulation when they're, when they're playing that game and you're going around saying you, you can have whatever you desire, 
what does she desire? She wants, wants to make out with Ben. She wants to make out with Ben, who an, an hour before you slapped him and and humiliated him. And, and not just that, Ben is the best friend, at least at one point, it's made clear because they had a business together, of Will. Mm-hmm. Like, of her ex-husband, who's there in the room. Yeah. And clearly uncomfortable. It's just these little pangs of, like, manipulation that are thrown out throughout the film, too, that make it, you know, so well done and so effective. Yeah. Uh, okay, so... Oh God, there's so much more. But okay, so they they have they have their they have dinner, which that dinner looked fucking amazing. I Every was time like, I see it, I'm like, I want to be there so bad. Yeah. I don't care what happens. <laughs> yeah, the, the yeah, and that is. Oh, I'm trying to remember how things play out. But the dinner, see, there is a Will has a big outburst at dinner because that's when he can. He that's when he basically erupts at Eden for not caring about the fact that their child is dead and how she was able to get over it and move on like nothing ever happened. Yeah. And she has some really great responses, even though, I mean, obviously she's not coping well in the moment. Some of her responses, you know, will we cope different ways? And I've never, she said, she says, I've never ever held that against you, mm-hmm. you know? And, and a lot of these things you hear and you're like, you do take a moment. You're like, these like, though she's part of the cult, like, yeah, no people cope differently people grieve differently there's a lot of times that will is put in a bad light just for the way he confronts things um and it makes you at times have sympathy for eden Mm -hmm. it does oh yeah no there is there are several moments where she comes off as being very sympathetic um and i think yeah so that dinner scene that's very that's very uncomfortable to watch because his grief is just very tangible i mean it's just spilling out of him and he you can tell that he's just can't handle this anymore and then you kind of get into that whole the whole final level of questioning what's going on because there's a character troy who has been alluded to the whole film and it's i think it's um is it oh the girl it's gina's the boy- boyfriend yeah it's gina's boyfriend gina's boyfriend and he hasn't he hasn't been present this entire time and will go after the dinner scene i think will goes outside and realizes he has a voicemail because backtracking eden and david have told the group that troy just never has shown up he just yeah. he's not he's never shown up we haven't seen him all night. we don't know what happened to him well will goes outside he notices he has a voicemail on his cell phone and he listens to it and it's troy and troy is saying hey i'm here I'm at the front door, you know, um, I'm just letting you know I'm here. So what is that? So right away, you're like, what the fuck? Okay, so they said that they haven't seen Troy all day, but now Will has this voice message. And yeah, he goes back into the house and again, erupts, you know, and you are actually as a viewer, you're actually on his side, I think at this point, you're like, okay, yeah, this is what happened to Troy. This is fucked up. But then what happens? He Just as this is building up into this boiling over, and, and he's also, another thing he does in this conversation, I'm pretty sure it's in this conversation, he also calls out the fact that they have uh, barbiturates in the bedroom. Yes. Uh, because I don't know if, if uh, we mentioned it, but earlier on, um, there is this whole sequence where he's out getting wood, and he looks into the bedroom, and the bedroom lights up, and he sees Eden walk into the bedroom and she's obviously frustrated. She's having a moment. She reaches into the drawer and she puts 
a bottle away and he sneaks into the bedroom and he finds the bottle and it's, it's some kind of, um, of, of, I think like a, it's, it's a drug. I think it's like a sleeping pill or something that one of the characters, one of the, the, the gay couple it confirms for him. It's a barbiturate. Um, so there's all these little things that all kind of culminate. So when he calls out Eden and David in this conversation, he's like, who are these people at this party? Mm-hmm. What the hell's going on? Where's Troy? He left me a voicemail. Why do you have these pills in your bedroom? He just throws it all at them and it all erupts into this big moment that climaxes with the doorbell. And it's just like, again, expertly crafted cinema. It just builds and builds and boils over in this moment of emotion. And then all of a sudden, the, uh, you as the viewer, you're like, yes, I, I, I see where he's going with this. He's right. And then all of a sudden, there's the doorbell and you know in your gut it's Troy, and sure enough, it is. And then everybody just looks at Will as this asshole. Yeah. And here again, we have another scenario where Will is responding based on emotion because he's upset, and he looks like he's in the wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's affecting all of his relationships, especially his relationship with Kira. Yes, because at that point, yeah, like I said, throughout the whole film, Kira has been very underplayed. I mean, she is definitely throughout the most of the film, the character that gets like the least to do. Every once in a while, they, they, they you do get a shot of her reactions. And she actually is very, when Will is having the explosion at the dinner table, she's like, come on, Will, we are leaving now. She wants to go. Um, right. But yeah, one, once, yeah, it's such a great scene because he's letting it all out there. Yeah, you guys... He's, he's listing everything that's been mysterious and, and just not right since the moment they arrived. And you're the audience are like, yeah, yeah, these people are crazy. You need to get out of there. And yeah, Troy shows up. And then you as the audience member are like, okay, so I guess Will is crazy. And this and, is yeah. this just, just as an innocent little dinner party. Um yeah. But then, and you start doubting yourself as yeah. a viewer. You start doubt, doubting your reasoning. And like for a movie to be able to do that that far into the film, to be able to keep you kind of like jumping back and forth, what's right, what's wrong. Like, I just, I can't think of a lot of movies that keep my mind spinning that much, you know? Um, yeah. it, it really is just a nonstop suspense, nonstop. It just, uh, you never know which way it's going to turn. No, not at all. Yeah. Well, and then, but but then we're led into the the whole ending of the film, which plays out rather quickly. The dinner, they they go back to the table. They're sitting around the table, and they're starting to they they pass out this wine, or they pour this wine, which. Previously, the wine was just in a wine glass. I don't know if you noticed this or not. It was in a wine bottle. When, throughout the whole party, the wine has just been in a normal wine bottle. However, when they go all back down to sit at the table again, it's now in this decanter, this weird-looking ornate decanter. And they pour, they're pouring the wine around, and they're starting to say, you know, these this toast, I guess, for lack of a better word. And again, Will is really feeling like something is not right, and he freaks out and just bef- right before everyone takes a drink, he erupts, don't drink it, don't drink it. He knocks shit off the table and you're like, oh God, he's going nuts. He's, he's just well, lost his mind. Let's lead in though, that before that moment, there is a v- very specific sequence 
in which he asked to see the child's bedroom. Oh, yeah. And he goes in and they've, uh, they've redecorated the bedroom. They've turned it into an office. Uh-huh. And this is the one, this is a pretty pivotal sequence because up until this point, it's been a, a, a whole matter of every individual character's suspicions going off of what, going off of what they're, you know, um, based off what they're seeing and what they're suspecting, you know, Will's the only one that really thinks something's going on. Everybody else is kind of just like, Will, you're, you're letting your anxiety get the worst of you. But he goes into this room and he's kind of just trying to have a moment where he's just remembering his son. And he notices in the, in the desk, there is a laptop and he turns on the laptop and the laptop is a video from the leader of the cult that in a very roundabout way, is worded very specifically, but obviously intentionally so. It 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 confirms, it informs you that this whole purpose of the evening is for the members of the invitation, those who practice the invitation, to kind of cleanse themselves of their grief yeah. Yeah. via a mass suicide in which they take out the people that are closest to them. Mm-hmm. And it confirms Will's fears. It confirms that this whole time, even though he's been painted to kind of look as this anxiety-ridden asshole who is uh, responding based off of impulse that he's right that he is right something is going to happen and he knows it he finally knows it and you can see this whole calculated moment where Pruitt comes and escorts him back to the dinner party and you just see it in his face he's like what do I do what do I do and it leads to this moment with the wine which looks delicious and it's it's like this opalescent wine but in your head you kind of know those pills have to be involved somehow something's going on and they put that wine out and he has that moment where he just goes, don't drink it. He starts bashing it out of their hands. And it just, at that point, everything hits. Yeah, no, I forget the video, the whole finding that video in the, in the office is, yeah, that's a really cool scene too, because like you said, the video is pretty, I mean, it's pretty straightforward, but there's still, it's not explicitly stated. So even you as the viewer watching it, aren't 100% sure that it is saying exactly what it is saying, if this makes any sense at all. There's still an air of like mystery about what exactly is he saying, even though it's pretty explicit what he's saying. So because because it does take Will a, a few minutes to realize, to, to maybe make his move, because I feel like he's still, in his mind, he has had all of these misses, strikes the entire night. He's been, he's been, you know, humiliated over and over again for thinking things are go- are happening that aren't really happening. So in his mind, I feel like he's viewing this video very much like I just said, like, okay, yeah, I think I know what it's saying, but is it really saying that? So he does make that split moment decision right before everyone drinks, except Gina. <laughs> Gina gets a good gulp of that wine before he knocks it out of her hand, everyone's hand. Because then... What you know, they're fighting about Will erupting and knocking shit off the table. And then what happens? Gina all of a sudden is on the, the first floor. Sadie attacks him physically. Oh, and they're struggling and they're struggling. And he, about he pushes her away and she knocks her head on the corner of a table. And for a moment you think she like broke her neck. And so all the attention goes to Sadie until you realize, oh, she's starting to come too. She's okay. She just has like a head wound. Uh, and you hear Kira say she's not breathing. And they're like, no, 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 she's breathing. Like she's like, no, 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 Gina. And that's a really, that right there is a moment just of an example of this really like well-directed sequence. You don't even think about Gina. You see her take this quick sip, but everything happens in such a blur that you kind of just overlook it. 
until you realize that she's foaming from the mouth. Oh, yeah. And that's when you're like, oh, shit it's such a cool scene yeah Jay, uh, um when yeah sadie attacks him and says like you you've ruined everything and she's just pummeling him and yeah he pushes her away yeah she hits her head and that that's the point where again another really masterful piece of plot device there i guess for lack of a better term because at that moment when sadie hits her head and and falls and you think she's dead at that moment you as a viewer could potentially think that this is a now a much different movie than what you thought the whole time. Does that make sense? Right. Because now you have, oh shit, Will killed Sadie. And now the film is, how is everyone going to react to that? Are we going, you have a very different film now until the moment when you hear, hear her say, yeah, she isn't breathing. Um, and it's, it's Gina and she's on the floor just foaming at the mouth and her boyfriend, Troy, um no it's not troy it's one of the it's the um one of the gay couples one of the right? gays yeah I remember which one goes to help her and then he's sitting there helping her and all of a sudden you hear a gunshot and it's fucking Pruitt with a gun that just shot uh or da- it's david david shoots the the i think it's Miguel. It's, not, it's Tommy. It's Miguel. Miguel is like a nurse. You see the whole moment. He's like, he's, he's like putting her, you know, he's laying her down. You could tell he's going through the moments of like CPR or getting ready to give CPR and everything. And, and then all of a sudden you hear the bang and you see David, cause you see the whole moment of David walking around in the background shot very well because you don't see the gun. Mm-hmm. You just see the discomfort in his eyes and he shoots Miguel and it goes into this, I, another standout sequence that I think is honestly my favorite moment in the movie, the slow motion sequence that starts to incorporate the score from the opening credits that boom, ching, boom, ching. Like there's this really specific score and the opening credits in this movie, by the way, that alone, phenomenal. Yeah. But they start to use this really amazing score and everything goes into this beautiful slow motion sequence where you just see everyone start to back away and react leading up to the moment where Pruitt convinces David to give him the gun. And the, based off of what you've heard from Pruitt over the course of the film, you know that's the character that you do not want to have the gun. You know he's the loose cannon. You know he's killed before. You know he's now in his mind brain, been brainwashed to the place where he can excuse any violence that he, he executes because of the invitation. So you have this psychopath with a weapon who thinks it's his purpose to kill everybody in this house. And that sets the movie off a totally different trajectory. And the rest of the film becomes, I I mean, I'm in basically a straight up horror film. Yes. Oh yeah. Because it's now it's very much a Pruitt is hunting down all of the members or all the, all the guests at the dinner party, literally hunting them down, shooting them here. And, uh, Will go and kind of because Will knows his house because it was his house, so he kind of knows where to go and hide. And they're just like, you know, witnessing him cold blooded just going and, and killing all of his friends. Well, and, with David assisting him, and David is David is helping him. The only one that's showing any resistance is honestly Eden. Yeah, you see her breakdown. You see her realize this is not right. She says it in a conversation with David. She says. This is wrong. This is not how this was supposed to be. This was supposed to be beautiful. And you hear the brainwash, the manipulation. You hear him convincing her, we can still get to heaven. We can still get there. We've just got to see this through. It's 
it's very tragic. It's very tragic. Yeah, I mean, and it, it, it happens pretty quickly. Pruitt attacks Will, and you think he's going to kill him, and then you get Kira. This is kind of the moment that her character gets gets something to do um, because she is the one that gets that basically knocks Pruitt out, um, and they are able to get away, except as they're kind of trying to get away, as you just said, now you get Eden who actually shoots Will and then shoots herself in the stomach. Yeah. You see a lot of character development uh, shifts within this whole sequence. Um, and one thing you, you mentioned a few times with Kira being kind of played, you know, she's very secondary compared to a lot of the other characters. And I feel like that's very intentional for the first chunk of the movie because so many times throughout the film, she's like, hey, Will, let's talk. And he kind of dismisses her. And I think I think her overall character is kind of dismissed, at least for the the, the, marge, the larger chunk of the film, just because it's how Will is so distracted with what's going on that the one character that's really trying to make themselves available and genuinely really uh, trying to be there for him. I mean, I want to see the one, everybody obviously loves him, but she's really trying to be like a rock for him through this. And he's so caught up in the emotion that he at one point even tells her, he's like, I love you, but I don't think you can help me. And you can see it just stab her in the heart. You can just see the the offense that she takes because she's just trying to be a good girlfriend. I mean, this woman is trying. But once shit hits, you see Will realize that he's, A, he's right. His instincts are right. And B, he really steps up and takes charge and becomes very protective of her because I think he realizes in that moment that she is somebody in his life that is absolute, absolutely worth saving. Um, and that is why that last half, or not last half, but that last chunk of the movie, they work very much together in unison. And you think for a moment, you think she's not really doing a lot to, to uh, help or defend. And then when she comes in with that wine bottle, yeah, because the person I was watching it with even was like, wow, she seems like she's kind of just like, are they, are they purposely playing her as like incapable of defending herself? And I didn't say anything because I knew what was going to happen. But you see the moment where she steps up to the plate and beats Pruitt to death yeah. by bashing his skull in with a wine bottle. And you realize this chick is very capable of defending herself. You see a lot of character evolution. But that does lead to that moment with Eve where she, I think she just instinctively shoots Will because she's being told to do so brainwashed into doing so but the moment she does it you can see in her face what have i done right yeah you know and she turns it she puts it to her stomach and she shoots herself and it's just this it is literally this barrage of death death shooting death it's it is shocking and i think i think it's interesting that she shoots herself in the stomach um you know most people that commit suicide are going to shoot themselves in the head or you know in the mouth or whatever she does a stomach and i'm you know i think that's kind of and she does it in front of will and i think it's sort of like a symbolic of their child being murdered you know i mean why why would you shoot yourself in the stomach if you're going to kill yourself i think there's all these like i said there's all these little like little nods and symbolism to other things and i thought that was very interesting and in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, that's kind of cool. It's not cool, but I mean, it's just kind of a, a, a clever little twist to have her do. Um, 
And it's sad because at that moment you do realize that she has, I think after she shoots herself, she, because she doesn't die right away. I really think that she realizes how manipulated she's been. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's full of regret. And it's, it's very sad because she asks Will to carry her out to the, to the backyard and put her in the backyard so that she can, you know, die. Prior to that moment though, we do have this whole sequence where they think they're trapped upstairs with David. The last one, the last one standing is David. It was in my mind, the main manipulator. He's very much the one that has her thinking this is what they need to do. And, um, and you have this whole sequence where you think there's going to be this like big final showdown between the two, you know, the couple um, between Kira and Will and him and their gun is out of bullets Mm -hmm. uh, and they have no real means of defending themselves. Will has been shot um, and he's, you know, you got David coming up the steps with a knife, rambling through this monologue about how all of this is like meant to be and so forth and so on. And right in the middle of it, you completely forget that the character of Tommy, the one of the two boyfriends, is is kind of disappeared. Everybody else you've seen get shot or ki- you know killed, uh, but he gets kind of lost up in the scuffle of everything after his boyfriend is killed. And in the midst of this monologue, David's walking up the steps and he just gets tackled by the waist, dragged down the steps, and falls on his knife yes. into his lung Which- and dies. This very dramatic yeah. death sequence in which all you hear is, is Tommy's <laughs> gasping for air because of the shock of the sequence. And they just, and, and it's simple as that. You don't have some final moment where he sits back up. No, you don't have, there's no like bending realism here. And I love that. Like it is just handed out how it would be. He gets stabbed in the lung and he's dead and they go back to Eden and she has that beautiful, beautiful moment that you just talked about where they take her outside and she says, you know, I miss him every day. I miss the kid every day. And I've I cry. I've cried multiple times watching that sequence. It's a genuinely tragic, well acted, very human sequence and uh, touching on a very real palpable human emotion, you know, loss and how one grieves Mm-hmm. And her death is, I think, just this, one of the most stunning sequences in the film. Mm-hmm. How she's in the middle of, you can tell she's saying, I hope, I hope we, I hope we meet again. You know it's going to be something and she can't even get it out. She just dies. It's very effective. It's very sad. It's, it's, it's sad. Even though, because it's hard to, because technically she should be a, she should be a villain, but it's really hard for, at that point to think of her that way. And you really, as an audience member, even though it's, she set a lot of this up, you do realize that she is, she was manipulated and now she's regretful and that she kind of sees that this was very wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like, just like, if you like look at her journey in general, like, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. You should look at her as the villain, one of the villains of the film, but she is a mother who lost a child. The child, I think they said it was four or five. The, and, and, and we didn't mention this earlier, but I, the child, the, the death was his birthday party yes. in which a kid was playing with a baseball bat and swung it into his head. Yes. Like how, how devastating. That would be very and, yeah. and And so for her, obviously someone who struggles with mental illness, the whole allusion to her suicide attempt, that they, and they talk about it a couple of times, but you see that moment over the sink with the knife. They talk about how she went into rehab and that in rehab, that's where she met David, who was there for his addiction. And, and this character, the character of Eden, 
as much as you want to hold things against her, she was a character who was in a very weak, fragile state who was preyed upon by this cult. Oh, absolutely. And that's, and that's where you really do feel a, a lot of sympathy because she was just looking for a way to cope. It because because she, she really is a victim. I mean, even though, like I said, even though the film does a, uh, a job of trying to paint her as a villain, she's a victim. Like she was manipulated. You, yeah, you're right. You, you, she's, gr- she's a grieving mother and she gets involved in, in this cult that we know just from experience, just from real life cults that a lot, that's, they prey on the vulnerable. Um, yeah. Oh, and then you get Sadie just like randomly on the couch with the, with the fireplace poker. Uh, I, yeah. But so all these characters just meet these grisly demises. And it's interesting that David's demise is very like untheatrical. I mean, he literally falls on his own sword, which is interesting. Again, a whole nother kind of symbolism there. But can we now get to the, I mean, the finale of the film, the, the, the final shot of this film? Oh, we forgot to mention, there is a moment, back backtrack, that Will is in the bedroom or staring out into the backyard and he sees David go right before they pour the wine. He sees David go and light this red lantern, right? And it's just a very subtle thing. You're like, oh, okay, that's pretty. That's a cute yarn, yard ornament. But you kind of find out what that means at the end of the film. The, the final shot of the film is so creepy. So yeah. Creepy in a lot of ways, audio, visually, like they do a great job of building up to that final shot. Here, uh, I'll let you go ahead and describe it because yeah, you're, you're because, into okay. It. So Eden has died on the in the backyard. The other Tommy goes in because he wants to, even though he knows Miguel is dead, he wants to go and he feels like he should be with him. And all of a sudden, Kira and Will are just standing there, and they are, you know, obviously in disbelief. And then what you hear helicopters which is kind of an odd thing to hear so they walk to the edge of the yard and all these helicopters are flying over and then you see the camera pan and it gives you a view of the hills and it's littered with all of these lit red lanterns and you start to hear like gunshots very subtle gunshots screaming and you're like what's barking Dogs, you're like, what the fuck? This invitation obviously was far more reaching than we ever thought because. Yeah, there was a few lines earlier in the film, especially when it first comes out, um, when when Gina's like, oh, my God, they're in a cult. And they're like, no, it's not a cult. And Miguel's even like, he's like, I have a friends who do the invitation. I think Ben says his boss does the invitation, but it's like secondary conversation, you know. But then you realize this is. This is everybody in the invitation is is likely participating. It's kind of the equivalent of like those mass suicides uh, with other cults where they drink the Kool Aid. You know, it, this is their version of drinking the Kool Aid, the wine. Only this time they're taking people with them. And yeah, what a chilling finale! It's a so, um, so chilling, and that's just how the film ends on that on that scene. Yeah, the, my friend that I watched the film with said he's like, you know, I normally don't like sequels. Uh, and I wouldn't even think this would be a film that would deserve a sequel in the sense it's on its own merits. It's just, it, it tells the story from beginning to end so well. I wouldn't even think sequel. However, I would love to see 
the extent that this reached. And I'd love to see them tell that story further. That was now this was that viewer who was not even really a horror fan, uh, but it was affected enough that he's like, I want to see just how far reaching this impact was um, because they do leave you, leave you on a bit of a cliffhanger. Yeah, because, I mean, but it is so effective. It's, it's one of the, probably the one of the, the most effective final shots of a film uh, yes, yeah. that I've seen, period. It, because it just, then it just leads you, leaves you, because you think, okay, you think everything was, you think everything was resolved. Okay, this movie tricked the fuck out of me numerous times, but now I kind of know that yes, Will was right all along. Okay, everything's tied up. Everyone's dead except Will, Kira, and the one you know, Tommy. Okay, so that was that was a trip. That was a, definitely a roller coaster ride of the film. You think everything's wrapped up, and then right. bingo, you get this final scene that leaves you with thousands of other questions. Now, you know, right. so very effective film. Very beginning very effective. To, beginning to end, from the credits to the finale, it had me hooked. The score. Is phenomenal. Uh, it's shot so well. There's not a single critique or or issue I have for this movie, and that is a genuine statement. And that is so rare because I'm such a critical person. But um, I can revisit this movie over and over and over and over and take something away from it. I take such joy in showing this film to people. And if for some reason you sat through this without having seen the film, which we said not to do. Yeah, but if you did, please go watch this movie. It is just a because, phenomenal film. Yeah, because us explaining all of these little um, ticks and quirks of this film that make it unsettling and, and really play mind tricks with the viewer, you have to see them. You know, they're hard to explain. It, it's, it's just masterfully directed. Yeah, and we overlooked uh, intentionally, like we, we, you know, we skimmed out a lot of the story. There's a lot of moments that obviously we didn't delve into just because you kind of have to see it to understand it. It is just a constant series of scenarios in which you kind of doubt the intentions of everyone involved. It, it really, in a way, it's, I don't want to say it's a whodunit, but it's, it's a what's going on. <laughs> it's what is happening. What is going on in this film? And it just builds to such a satisfying ending. Um, I, I do know that there was a comment made in one of our forums, one of the, the um, podcast forums about uh, saying that this movie is a snooze fest. And I've honestly never heard a negative comment up until this point. But I think, you know, uh, I think you've got to like slow burn cinema to get this. Um but if you can if you can get through the slower parts, which are intentionally slow, I can't see it being done any other way. Um, don't you tell me that finale doesn't pay off? It's a very it's a it's very much a character study, yes. uh, in the in the sense that films you know from the seventies. If we look at films from the seventies, Network and all all these great films from from that time, they were very much character studies. They took their time getting to where they were going. And you follow the path of the characters along the way. You don't see films like that anymore. I mean, I feel like, unfortunately, we're not calling anybody out. Please don't think that. But unfortunately, a lot of audiences, younger audiences these days are used to films like the big budget blockbusters where there's, you know, superhero movies where there's constant action. There has to be something going on all the time. This is not that type of film. You you have to sit back and just watch things unfold the way they do. I mean, I guess I for some I mean, I guess for some people that might be boring, but like you said, the payoff makes it well worth it in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and because it takes its time, because it's so slow in the majority of the film, you're given these characters that you really 
really are invested in. Yeah. Even like I said, even the smaller characters, there's not a single character that I feel is at the end of the film underdeveloped. I understand everybody, how they think, why they think the way they think, what their intentions are. Everybody is played so real to me that when the finale happens, I was affected by everyone's death. I was. You know, every character that is killed, you mourn them because these are real human characters that you can associate with people in your everyday life. Uh, They're not overdone. They're not over the top. They're not overplayed. They're not caricatures. Like the last film we watched, Clown at Midnight, which was chock full of very um, stereotypical characters. These are, like you said, diverse, unique, fleshed out human beings with, with really realistic stories. Ben has that moment where he's talking with Will, where he's talking about how he thinks he hates his wife, but the sex is so good that he like is still in it, but he just thinks they hate each other. Like you've got these little moments of dialogue where you're like, wow, I've heard that. I've had friends say that. I know people in that situation. They do such a good job that when it does get to the finale, you feel something when these characters meet their demise. Absolutely. That's rare. You don't it get is, that in a lot of especially, films. Yeah, especially these day, this day and age where, like I said, a lot of horror movies don't treat their characters with respect in terms of really building these characters that the audience is going to care about. Right, um, right. So, yeah, right. very effective. Again, if you if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. So check it out. It's, it's such a great film. But that's the invitation. I mean, it's definitely the – well, I mean – We've only done two other films, but this is definitely the best film that we've covered so far. By so, far, by far, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, we can't recommend it enough. It's a great film. I, again, it's a mind fuck. It'll, it plays with the audience brilliantly. Um, but, yeah, so you, I believe you picked, you have picked the next film because I picked the first two, you picked the next two. I think you picked it, did you not? I, I did. I did. You know, I wanted to go like kind of a different route. Uh, I wanted to go a little more like cerebral, but a little more like fantasy because this one is so um, rooted in like realism, you know? So I kind of like went just for something totally different. Uh, it's a movie I love, but I don't often like think of it, uh, especially in a scenario like this where I'm going to talk about it with somebody. But God, I love this movie. I picked. Um, I picked The Cell, starring one Jennifer Lopez. And if you come for Jennifer Lopez in this movie, we're going to have problems. <laughs> but no, I, 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 picked, I, I picked The Cell. I feel like I, I should throw, up, throw out the Mariah Carey meme. I don't know her. No, but I uh, know. Well, I know her in this movie. And listen, yeah. I, think, I think this movie is... Um, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not even going to say no. what I think. I'm going to let, I'm going to hold it to the next one because God, I get so excited about talking about yeah. these titles. Because, so, um, because, yeah, so the cell. Yeah. The cell, which is very cool. Very interesting. You're picking all this highbrow stuff and I'm picking the freaking clown at midnight. But, uh, <laughs> but no, no, I listen, I've got a few in mind that are definitely oh. more, more Z grade, but I was like, well, you just, if we just did the clown at midnight, I'm going to kind of do something a little bit different. And I know we'll jump all over the place, but trust me, I've got some, some great, some great Z-lister films coming out. Don't I'm, you I'm ex- worry. Yeah, I'm excited about this one because, believe it or not, I've only seen this movie one time, and I saw it way back in 2000. I'm talking about Cell, The Cell. I saw it way back in 2000 when it came out, and I honestly, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, I don't remember a f- damn thing about it. So oh, I'm going to go into this almost like 
I just remember it has Jennifer Lopez in it and there was some weirdest crap shit going on. I don't remember this film at all. So this is going to be fun to revisit and see, you know, 20 years later what my thoughts are because I literally don't remember anything about this film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I, that actually excites me because I, I have no idea what to expect from you, but, um, but yeah, I think, um, I, well, I think that it's going to be a really great, uh, film to discuss on this podcast. It has some fantastic fashion. Um, I think, I think we're gonna be able to really, um, delve into it because it is, like I said, a very cerebral film and kind of in a similar vein to the invitation, it really gets into the minds of some of its characters, literally gets into the minds of some of its characters. And yeah, I think, uh, I think it's going to be a really fun one. Uh, so I hope to our viewers, I hope you guys enjoyed this, uh, this episode and, uh, I hope you tune in for the next one because Troy and I are, have fi- uh, finally really gotten the groove of things and we're going to keep it coming. Yeah, we're definitely, I think, feel like we're definitely getting, you know, into our, into, into our groove. So, and we, you know, it can only get better from here. Uh, as Absolutely. The more we do this. Um, but yeah, so yeah, the cell. And also like, if you're in our Facebook group, shoot us some suggestions of films that you like, you'd want to hear us cover. We are so thankful for your support so far. So yeah, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Tune in next week when we talk about JLo. Yes, please. And real quick, Troy, I want to give a quick a shout out uh, uh, for you and for the team, just because it's something to celebrate. We're filmmakers. Um, real quick, just share the, the, the cool new news with uh, teacher shortage. We got in, in uh, we were invited to be part of another film festival, correct? Yes. Teacher shortage um, is the film that I directed that Roger stars in, along with a lot of other great uh, people. But yeah, we just got accepted into another film festival, which is the um, Wreak Havoc Film Festival, which is in its, I think, sixth year. It's in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And what's really Ooh. cool is this year they're doing the film as at a, as a, at a, at a or they're doing the festival at a drive-in movie theater. That's so, so cool. Being able to see the film on, at a, on a drive-in movie screen would be awesome. So I'm hoping, you know, to be able to make it out there and, 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 see the film they they selected some great films they only select like five feature films so that's pretty cool that teacher shortage was among the the selections so flattering thank you huge thank you to everyone involved with recap film festival then for uh including us in that lineup where we're very flattered and we're appreciative so uh, and and if you're in uh winston-salem then maybe you need to jump over to that (laughs) drive-in yeah it's supposed to be october 21st and 22nd so yeah awesome yeah. Cool. Yeah. If, if any of our listeners are able to make it to that, if you get to check out Teacher Shortage, let us know. Uh, but until then, we're going to be throwing some more really awesome uh, reviews your way. So keep your ear to the ground. We will be announcing the date for the next review of The Cell in the next few days. Awesome. Well, I enjoyed this conversation with you, Roger. So you enjoy the rest of your day. And thanks for, for tuning in, everyone. We appreciate you so much. Have a wonderful evening, guys. Thank you. All right. Later.